Well, thank you so much for having me today. <clears throat> I uh, have admired this church for quite some time now, uh, and I can't tell you what a privilege it is to be filling in for your pastor today. Uh, having known Ken, I can tell you that he is a man of God who isn't impressed with himself and lives with uh, a great amount of integrity. And I got to tell you, that really impresses me. Uh, I don't know of another pastor who loves his church uh, more than Ken. And so, Ken, thanks again uh, for letting me be here today. It's a true privilege. Uh, about a month ago, my wife and I, or I, I just pulled into the driveway from a long day at work, and I was talking with a buddy of mine on the phone. Now, it was one of those conversations that I knew wasn't going to be short, and so to be fair to him and my family, I decided just to finish out the phone call before heading into my house. I would finish out the phone call right on my front porch. Well, my son, who is one year old, his room is right by the front porch, and a window gives a direct view as you walk into the front door of our house. And so on this specific evening, he and my wife, Savannah, had pulled up the shades to simply wave at me and welcome me home. Well, as I'm talking to my buddy on the phone, I could see through the glass that my wife's smile was getting bigger and bigger. I mean, she was evidently excited about something, but because I was so engaged with this phone call, I couldn't determine exactly what it was. And so I just thought, you know, what a great wife. She's, she's just excited to see me. She's just happy to have me home after a long day at work. As I was standing right in front of his window, I noticed that my son would go off and he would play with a couple toys. And each time he would do that, my wife would chase after him and position him right in front of the window to where I could see the front of his t-shirt. It was like she was trying to tell me something. I never figured it out until a few minutes later, I walked inside the house and she had to outright tell me the surprise that she was trying to communicate to me the entire time. Now, I want to see how many of you here today are much smarter than me, which really isn't all that difficult, and, and you would have figured out the message my wife was trying to surprise me with that night. Now, here's the picture. Now, you would think the t-shirt would say, Mommy's pregnant again. Uh, but that would be, I think, a little too easy. So please pray for my wife. She has to live with somebody as clueless as I am, okay? She needs a lot of prayer. Uh, but I got to tell you, ever since we found out that we're expecting our second child, the excitement has just been so tough to contain. Uh, during the, uh, we've just recently gone public with the information, but during those first few weeks when um, we, we knew but couldn't yet tell anyone, uh, it absolutely ate us up inside. I mean, your natural response when receiving news like that is to go and tell everybody you know. And I think we all have those go and tell moments in life. Uh, maybe for you is when you got the promotion. Or perhaps it was when you were first engaged, or it could have been when uh, you bought your first house. I mean, you wanted to tell everybody you knew, right? I mean, when you've been given something great, you can't help but go and tell other people. And I think that's how the early church felt with the message of Christ that they had been entrusted with. Yet at first, they just kind of seemed to keep it, to the, they kept it to themselves. It was like they just didn't know what to do with it. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open up with me to the New Testament book of Acts. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts uh, in the New Testament. Now, throughout this book, we're given snapshots of what the early church was like. And from it, we can see what the Christians were doing, how God was moving in incredible uh, ways. And today, we're going to be in the last part of chapter 8. I believe it's page 777 in the Bibles in front of you. Uh, but to give a little context of what's happening here, 
Uh, In chapter 2 of Acts, uh, the disciple Peter stood up in front of a crowd in Jerusalem, preached the gospel for the very first time, and as a result, thousands of people responded. It was the start of the church. And from that moment, the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now we read that and we think, man, that's the ideal, faithful church. But the question is, were they completely living out what Jesus had just told them when he said to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? I loved walking through your atrium and seeing that this is a great church, a great commandment church, a great commission church. But I don't know if that would have defined what this early church was like. Now, a few years would roll by and God allowed the persecution to break out against his followers. And honestly, this was the very best thing that could have happened to this church at the time. Now, that sounds odd, but look at the result of the persecution in chapter 8, verses 1 and 4. It says this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And you see, through this persecution, God reminded this church of something that we need to realize today, and it's this. Jesus didn't come so that we would stay. He came so that we would go. And Jesus didn't come so we would stay. He came so we would go. You see, the persecution forced the gospel to spread beyond the walls of Jerusalem. And it reminded this early church that Jesus is a gift to be given, not some message to restrain. Now, in this series, you've learned of all the different reasons and purposes of why Jesus came to this earth. He came to change the world, to, be, uh, to light the darkness. He came to save us. Uh, But what happens when the very thing he came to accomplish stays a secret? I mean, what if we have the prescription of people's pain, but we just keep it to ourselves? Well, starting in verse 26 of chapter 8, there's a specific example of a man named Philip telling Jesus' message that I want us to look at. And from it, we can identify a few challenges, a few concepts, so that we don't keep the message of Jesus to ourselves, which honestly can very easily happen sometimes. And so if you're in your Bibles, words will be up on the screen. Pick up in verse 26. Here's what we see. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now Philip had to be thinking at this point, God, really? (laughs) I mean, a desert road? I mean, what's so demanding that I go there? And you see, like Philip, sometimes we're told to go. We're told to do something that doesn't necessarily make sense in our minds, Yet what I've realized is that it's not our job to question God, it's just our job to obey Him. And so that's why the first challenge that I want to throw at you today is this, respond to God's promptings. Respond to God's promptings. Pick up in verse 27. So he, Philip, started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way uh, home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, I suppose that God's leading probably became a little bit more clear once Philip saw that chariot off in the distance making its way down the desert road, but that's not to say that he wasn't first filled with doubt. 
You see, Philip first had to initially act out of faith, responding to God's promptings. Now, I recognize that God's probably not going to send an angel your way to identify some lost person in your life, but I do know that he still specializes in sending his people to engage with those who are far from him. Now, it's not that he doesn't prompt his people anymore, but it's that we don't listen. Down in Texas, where my wife and I live, we have a neighbor to the left of us named Mark. Mark is about 30 uh, 30 years old, lives by himself, uh, single, uh, and suffers pretty badly from social anxiety. Well, a couple weeks ago, he knocked on our front door and returned something to us that he had borrowed. And on my front porch, we just started to make some small talk. Well, the more we talked, he began to, surprisingly to me, he he began to open up to me unlike he had ever done so before. He, He talked to me about how he's been walking through some pretty bad depression lately. And so sensing an opportunity, I said something like, Mark, you need to know, man, I've, I've walked through depression at some point in my life too, but, but can I tell you one thing that really pulled me through? It was a guy named Jesus. He gave me what I needed most. Now, as soon as I said that, silence fell over our conversation, and I was a little bit nervous of how he would receive it, and he didn't even acknowledge. I mean, he just totally changed the conversation, shifted it a different direction. And so there I learned, I mean, you can't always control how the promptings of God's Spirit, how, how they'll be received. Author and pastor Craig Rochelle says this, you don't fail if the Spirit prompts you to ask someone to follow Christ and the person doesn't. You fail when the Spirit prompts you, but you're afraid to ask. I'll tell you that story so that I can confess something to you. I almost didn't open up the door that night. You see, I had just come in from a long day at work and the only thing on my mind was just sitting on the couch, relaxing, But when I heard the knock on the door that evening, I had a decision to make. You see, about a week before I had completely ignored a neighbor who I know doesn't know Jesus, I had an opportunity to invite them over for dinner. But what I did is I went about my own way and ignored them. And I got to tell you, I felt so guilty about it. I mean, it weighed on me for an entire day. I thought to myself, Patrick, you are such a fraud. All day long, you engage with those who, you you try to engage with those who are lost. You challenge people to do the same, yet you can't even really do it in your own personal life. My experience has been is that sometimes it's easier to share the gospel with somebody across the world than it is with somebody just across the street. And you see, the more you respond to God's promptings in your life, the more he tends to give. But the less you listen the more subtle they become. Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so maybe you sense a need to write an encouraging note to a coworker. Or perhaps you need to pay for someone's meal in the name of Jesus. It could be that you want to babysit for someone uh, all in the name of Jesus, allowing them to go out on a date night. And so let me just ask you this. Could those be open door opportunities to engage with somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Remember, Jesus didn't come so we would stay. He came so we would go. Well, another challenge, another concept that we see in the story with Philip is to connect with the unlikely. That's the second thing. Connect with the unlikely. Pick up in verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading uh, Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you were reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, Philip, understand, he connects with this guy that is a very unlikely possibility to receive and meet Jesus. Now, for three reasons. The Ethiopian man first had power. 
Uh, he was in charge of all the treasury for, for, and worked directly for the queen of Ethiopia. Now, he was wealthy. Now, chariots in the first century were equivalent to what Rolls Royces would be in our society. I mean, they were kind of status symbols back then. We can definitely conclude that this guy had a lot of money. But one of the biggest things going against the Ethiopian was his heritage. Now, most scholars agree that he was probably a Gentile. Though he loved the Lord, he probably had not converted to Judaism yet. Now, this meant that he could visit the temple in Jerusalem, but he couldn't enter it. And even if he ever did convert, because of his physical condition, the law said that he couldn't have full membership into the congregation of Israel. Now, this may not seem like that big of a deal to us today, but you have to realize that at this point, Christians didn't realize that the message of Jesus Christ was for Gentiles as well. It wasn't until sometime later in Acts chapter 10 that the disciple Peter said this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation. And so the important lesson the early church would, would learn was this. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter who your forefathers were. You could be a slave or a millionaire. Your skin could be dark or light, but you see the gospel sees past all of that. It is level ground at the foot of the cross. Jesus came to save what we would think of as very unlikely people. And you see, he came to save the atheist who always criticizes you in the break room at work. He came to save your husband who hasn't been to church in years. He came to save Purdue fans, all right? <laughs> I mean, they're the unlikely people in our lives. I mean, right, we can agree with that. But you know what I have realized is that sometimes the most seemingly unlikely people to respond to Christ are also the people that are most receptive. You see, in Jesus' day, the most likely men to have engaged with him were the Pharisees. You see, they could have quoted to you the very prophecies that spoke about Christ hundreds of years before, but you see, it was like inoculation. They wanted just enough of God to really keep them from God. They had this knowledge that lacked an in intimacy. And so Jesus, he goes so far to say this in Luke chapter 5. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus declares that he came to connect with un the unlikely people that you would never expect to change. I mean, you never would have expected a woman just caught in the act of adultery. But Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. And you would never expect a corrupted tax collector named Zacchaeus, but Jesus says salvation has come to his home today. You would never expect a, a man possessed by the dark forces of Satan, but Jesus approached him and with authority he cast the demons out. Jesus came to save very unlikely people. Now when you hear that label unlikely, who comes to mind? Now what names surface? What faces uh, do you think of? Now, whoever it is, I want you to finish this sentence for me. The unlikely individual in my life is, maybe it's more than one person, more than one person. Therefore, I need to connect with them by, again, maybe it's writing an encouraging email to them. Perhaps it's inviting them to church. It could be uh, giving them some uh, random um, act of kindness, perhaps some generous donation, uh, all in the name of Jesus. Just like what a friend of mine says, know that God can do anything through anyone at any time, uh, any place. His desire is to connect with unlikely people uh, through you. And so who are you connecting with? Well, in verse 32 of Acts 8, we see this story unfold just a little bit. 
It says this, the eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. Again, this is from the book of Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Again, he was simply talking about Jesus and what he came to this earth to do and what he endured and what he went through on our behalf and absorbed our punishment. Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now you see, the eunuch couldn't tell the good news if he hadn't yet responded to it in his life. I mean, he couldn't take somebody to a place that he had never been to before. That's why the next challenge that I want to throw your way is this. Declare your story. Declare your story. I mean, what was it like when God's story collided with yours? Why did you decide to to start following Jesus? When did you realize that your greatest need in this life was forgiveness of sin? I mean, those had to be questions that the Ethiopian asked Philip while sitting in his chariot. Now, this was a go-and-tell moment for Philip because he knew that this eunuch couldn't find salvation anyplace else. Jesus' message is urgent for all people. And just over two weeks ago, we saw one of the most horrific massacres uh, occur up in Newtown, Connecticut. And I just can't imagine um, the horror of, of what that day, uh, what that day held on that Friday. Now I want you to suppose with me that on <clears throat> Thursday afternoon, before the shootings took place, you knew before you knew that Adam Lanza was going to arrive to Sandy Hook Elementary School and unload his gun on a bunch of six and seven year olds. How would, what would you have done with that information? How would you have responded? How would you have reacted? I mean, if you had a pulse, you probably would have called the local authorities and notified them. And if they wouldn't listen, you probably would have jumped in your car, driven 14 and a half hours away up to Newtown, Connecticut, and done everything to make sure those lives were saved. I mean, if push came to shove, you possibly would have laid down your life for those innocent kids. I mean, when death is on the line, we do everything. We take drastic measures to prevent it. You see, in a similar way, The Bible says that every person who doesn't embrace Jesus in this life is headed towards eternal destruction. Therefore, how loving would it be to keep silent all because we fear offending someone or being rejected? I mean, how well are we declaring our stories of what Jesus has done? The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 9, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would, be for, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. You see, Paul says that he would rather spend forever in hell if that meant that some of his friends would be saved. Maybe it's just me, but does that convict you? I mean, I don't know if I could say that. I didn't have much of a story till about four years ago. Uh, I've always grown up in a... Been grown up in a very comfortable Christian home. Jesus was always modeled very well through my parents and always been a part of a, a very healthy church. But when I turned 21 years old, I experienced a form of testing that caused me to lean on Jesus unlike ever before. My wife and I, we'd been married for about seven months at the time when I went into the emergency room just complaining of some basic back pain, only to find out that I had a type of cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma, a mass that was the size of a grapefruit lodged right in my chest. 
unsure what God was up to. We just kind of proceeded with life one step at a time. For several months, we didn't know if I was going to live long enough to celebrate uh, our one-year anniversary. Well, after about four months of going through treatments, uh, because of prayer and God working through uh, the medical professionals down in Louisville, uh, my body was completely healed of that cancer. Uh, And to this day, I'm still in remission, and for that, we are very grateful But you know, I look back at that chapter of my life and I realize where God was faithful even when my world seemed to be crashing down and I questioned what he was up to. I mean, for once in my life, I could could say that I know what it means to say that his grace is enough. Now that's my story. And yours could look completely different. And honestly, some stories are pretty exhilarating because what they do is they highlight the transforming power of Christ while others may be dull because maybe you've never rebelled, you've never gone through some tragedy or testing in your life. I'm here to tell you either way, it's okay. God can use any story as long as you're willing to be used. Now you've had a divorce. God says, let me use that to reach a single mom who needs to be introduced to the peace that I can offer. Or you're without a job right now. God says, well, while you still have this time on your hands, I want to introduce you to some other people in your same boat who need to be reassured of the hope that they can have in me alone. Or maybe you used to be addicted to drugs. God says, through your story, let me show people that I am far more interested in their future than than I am in their past. And it's been said that believers read the Bible, unbelievers read Christians. So if that's true, What would people say about Jesus who read your story? I mean, how well are we connecting with the unlikely people in our life? Are you declaring his message in such a way that they can relate? Well, as we've seen today, we're to respond to God's promptings, connect with the unlikely, and declare our stories. Lastly, we must see this. Trust God with the results. Trust God with the results. Look at what happens to the eunuch after Philip shares the gospel with him. Verse 36 As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Now, by this time, Philip had asked the Ethiopian to surrender his life to Christ. We can can conclude that. And so he jumped at the opportunity and said, Look, I need to be baptized. Verse 38, And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, it might look like that Philip is the hero of this story. I mean, after all, he responded to God's leading and connected with a very unlikely guy, but you see, ultimately, it was the Lord at work. You see, Philip only played a supporting role to the main character, the Holy Spirit. And you see, it was because of the Spirit that this story ends in a surrendered life as we see in the Ethiopian's baptism. But I've learned this the hard way. It doesn't always end like that. I mean, sometimes we go through seasons of prayer for someone who doesn't know Jesus. We invest time and money and energy into their lives. We follow what we think of as the promptings of the Spirit. But let me tell you, there's no magic formula that guarantees a transformed life in someone else. And so ultimately, we must trust that God is using the seeds that he has called us to plant. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Now, just because you don't see immediate growth in someone's life doesn't mean that God isn't working in their life, doesn't mean that that he isn't working. 
You see, our job is simply to love the lost and speak the truth in love when the occasions arise. But when we neglect doing that, the gospel is really defeated. Remember, Jesus didn't come so we would stay. He came so we would go. You see, the gospel was meant to be given. Now, to help illustrate this, I, I need your help for just a moment. I'm going to give you permission to uh, blurt out in church, all right? Uh, what, what comes to mind when you think of a boat sitting on a trailer, sitting in a driveway all year long? I mean, what words come to mind? Just come on, I need to hear you. Wasted, pointless, I heard a couple of you, right? Useless. Or what about this? A, a car sitting in a garage just collecting dust. Wives, don't elbow your husbands if this is him, all right? Now, what words come to mind? Useless, pointless, right? Or what about a basketball team that doesn't really play basketball? The University of Kentucky, right? <laughs> I'm a UofL fan. We beat them by three points yesterday. Oh. My counselor says it's therapeutic for me to talk about, okay? <laughs> well, you know, likewise, um, when we keep the gospel to ourselves, again, we're, we're really defeating the purpose of what it was meant to do. You see, God can't make seeds grow if we never plant them. Now, my dad is a, a physician down in Louisville, as Ken talked about, and uh, he does this just about any better than anybody uh, uh, that I know of. Uh, he truly sees his, his practice as a platform to proclaim Christ. Well, a couple years ago, <clears throat> when I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, my father-in-law, who serves as the pastor at our home church, announced to the entire congregation what I was going through and just requested prayer well, as soon as he did that, notes and emails and cards just came flooding in from every direction. And I want to share with you for just a moment one note that we received from a lady that I had never met of, that I never met before. And enclosed inside the note was a check that she had written out to, to my wife and I. And so addressed to my father-in-law, here's what she says in her note. She says, Dear Dave, I heard about your daughter's husband's cancer. I've enclosed a check for them to go out one night and have a nice dinner and a movie together. They are young and they just need a break from the everyday drill. When I was very young, pregnant, married, and without insurance or money, Dr. Garcia, again, my dad, he took care of my new sons, shots, well checks, sick visits, etc. I never received the bill, never had anyone look down on me, never had the doctor do anything short of 100% attention, respect, and love for us. Now, this check is not a payback by any sorts, but this just goes to show that my heart was touched by a man that cared and took care of me. Now, listen to what she says right here. She says, and he shined a side of somebody that I never knew existed. Doing this helps me to be more like Christ. Now, I imagine that It'd be pretty easy to get discouraged each time that my dad shares Christ with a patient, a patient and they don't respond. It'd probably be pretty discouraging for him each time that he invites somebody to come to church with him and they don't show up. I mean, he could get bitter each time he doesn't charge someone for a checkup but never even receives a thank you note. But why does he keep going? I mean, why does he keep shining his light? I'll tell you why because he knows that it's ultimately God at work. I mean, he's just playing a supporting role to the Holy Spirit. And I imagine one day in heaven, perhaps God will allow us all to see the people that will be there because of the seeds that maybe we have planted into their life over time. And my prayer for you in this church in 2013 as we're about to embark on this new year 
is that because of the investment that you're making into people's lives, that one day God will be able to read you notes that people have written over time of why they now know Jesus. You know, the only thing uh, more important than sharing Christ is making sure that you know him and making sure that you're right with God. And maybe today you come here and you feel like you're sitting in the Ethiopian's chariot just asking yourself, who is this man that died for me? And perhaps you've heard the message of Christ before, but you've just, for whatever reason, it just never was important for you to surrender your life to him. Well, again, as we start a new year, let me challenge you to wave the white flag. Let me challenge you to surrender your life to him. It's the best decision that you will ever make.